He is good. You know, sometimes those affirmations of truth that we make are to remind us when we doubt that they are true. And uh, all of us have those doubts. Sometimes we might question the goodness of God, and it's important for us in song, in meditation, in spiritual conversation to remind ourselves of those foundational truths that God is good. You can go ahead and have, uh, take your seats. We're so glad that you're here today. As Emma mentioned, uh, it was disappointing to not be able to worship you with you uh, last week. Hopefully you were able to dial in online. Um, it was not raining at the very exact time of the services, but very thankful that we did cancel. The cleanup would have been uh, a pretty hectic mess because that storm came through uh, not too long after the service ended. So uh, again, hopefully you were able to connect and uh, trust that, that, that you are still being, finding opportunities to do that as, as we face the challenges of, of, of the different phases we're, we're walking through in terms of reopening. Uh, of course, in addition to that, it just being summertime and different kinds of vacations, travel plans, hopefully you've been able to stay connected in this season. We are in a season, I've suggested to you a few weeks ago, of something of a reset, correct? Uh, certainly, we know that in all times... Uh, change is a part of our lives. Things change in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at stores, our workplaces, uh, everything. Things change, right? That's the reality. But we've been, been trying to remind ourselves that though we do are in this season of reset, and there are things that we maybe even have to do differently as a ministry, and we are doing differently as a ministry, we know there are some things that are tried and true and are unchanging. Uh, the Word of God is unchanging. The character of God is unchanging. That the, the, our identity in Christ is unchanging. Jesus said in Luke 6.40, a verse that we find to be a springboard for us, that kind of becomes core and central to everything we do. He said, are students better than their teacher? And that rhetorical question, of course, is answered no. But when they are fully trained, they will be like their teacher. So when we are fully trained in our walk with Jesus, we will become more and more and more and more like him. And so our, our mission statement is captured in the phrase that we are here to help people follow Jesus together. In following Jesus, it means, again, becoming like him, becoming like our teacher, our rabbi, our master, our example. Our example. Will we do that in perfection? Of course not. We'll stumble, we'll fall, we'll fail, we'll sin but we continue to come alongside one another, encouraging one another so that we can become more like Jesus. John said it this way when he wrote to those, some of those first followers, first generation of followers after Jesus had ascended back to the Father. He said, those who say they live in God, those who have received by faith the goodness of the gospel, those who have been born again, who have the identity of being God's children. If we say we live in God, we should live our lives as Jesus did. So that's the heart of what we've been talking about. And we, we would suggest to you that there are, and, and we can break it down in a lot of different ways, but for us, maybe we'd just like to keep it simple and, and memorable. We've just said, you know, we're going we're gonna to just kind of say that it's, a, it's about focusing on three dimensions. Those three dimensions we began a couple of weeks ago with the, with the out dimension, reminding us that we live as witnesses and ambassadors. We are people who are on mission for Jesus. We exist as a family, but we exist as a family that's on mission. And so we were challenged to live like Jesus did. We were challenged to live with his heart of compassion as he saw the crowds that didn't know him, as he reached out to them and provided healing, 
as he reached out to them and, and taught in the synagogues and, and also preached the good news of the kingdom, we see Jesus on mission in that out dimension. We also know, of course, that we are called to live in the in dimension, that is, with each other in the family of God as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is all about love, right? The second commandment is that we would love others as much as we love ourselves. And so I, I challenged you last week, we, challenged, we were challenged with that reality of how is it that we are loving others even more than we love ourselves? We were reminded how Scripture is, calls us to be so connected to one another. That phrase, one another, in English is from the Greek word alelon, and it, it occurs over 100 times in the New Testament. 59 of them are direct commands about what we should do with each other, like pray for one another and encourage one another and bear one another's burdens and uh, admonish one another, rebuke one another, teach one another, all of those kind of things. There's a few negative ones too, like don't bite and devour one another, stuff like that. But it's so prescriptive for us as a family. We're called to be in this community of saints, this family of God, living not just as like, oh, hey, yeah, we go to the same church. But no, we live in this intimate relationship of love. It's the second most important commandment. And as we look today, we're looking at the up component. And I would suggest to you that just as I said last week about the, the in component being a prime part of our relationship with God, not some secondary or tertiary aspect, but a very prime part, well, that up component is the prime essential thing. Jesus, when he was asked what the most important commandment was, responded in Luke, in, I'm sorry, Mark 12:30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So just as love was that distinguishing characteristic of the family of God, love is that distinguishing characteristic of our relationship with the Father. Look at that phrase again, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would it be wrong to say it's basically uh, Jesus saying, love me, love my Father, love the, the triune God with all that you have. Your entire being, every part of you is to love him. And so that, that aspect of love is what it characterizes this, this up relationship with our Heavenly Father. And really what it is, when we, when we describe what that's all about, it's really a life of worship. That is what a up relationship with God is all about. It's that life of worship. Maybe a verse that captures it so succinctly and just one simple verse was one that Paul wrote to the Roman Christians in the 12th chapter, first verse, many of you know it, maybe even have committed it to memory in one translation or another. He says, so brothers and sisters, since God has shown us great mercy, since he is so good, since he's loved, loved us so richly, since he's provided for us salvation in his son, I beg you, implore you, plead with you, ask you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God, primary, right? Only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. What a power-packed verse. What, that, I mean, we could just live that verse this week and it would be so transformational for us as we grow in our up relationship. The word that's translated in, in my translation that I read as worship, and you might be reading one that translates that last word service instead of worship. It's actually the Greek word latria, and it, and it means uh, any service or ministry 
that's rendered to God, any divine service. And so, though it's oftentimes translated worship, the heart of it is about service. And so, that's one component of our lives as it relates to our life of worship. Our life of worship is that any service that we do uh, to and for God. Sometimes when we hear the word worship, if we play some word association, you might think singing, praying, reading, studying, meditating, fasting, gathering, all of that. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Those are worshipful things. But another aspect of us is the fact that we are whole life, and you can pick up on that, right? It makes sense that God would have uh, uh, inspired Paul to choose that particular word because it's talking about his ent- their entire life. You're, that he, offer, he says, I beg you to offer your lives, your whole life as a living sacrifice. Remember, it's not going to be a perfect sacrifice. You, again, you're going to stumble, fall, fail, sin. But it's a living sacrifice. It's this, it's this daily surrender of offering your life, your complete being up to God, everything about. So it's a worshipful activity for you when you're at work. It's a worshipful activity for the way in which you interact with your family members. It's a worshipful activity for you to do some household chore or a DIY project. All those things can be worshipful if we see them as service to God. Anything that we're doing is serving Him. I love this one bumper sticker that a church, uh, I used to, before I came to, to Calvary uh, uh, over 10 years ago to be the teaching pastor here, I was the pastor of a multi, uh, multi-campus church in uh, a little bit south of here in Adrian and Blissfield. And there was one church outside of Adrian who had a bumper sticker that they provided for the people who were part of that church. And the bumper sticker was, it said, everything is spiritual. And I, and I, I like that because it, it put into context this idea that when we are, as followers of Jesus, everything we do is a spiritual endeavor. Everything, all that we do, whatever we do, again, in family and social relationships, in husband-wife relationships, in friends, in the church, out at work, everything we do is a spiritual activity, and everything that we do can be this offering of worship up to God. That's the heart of the word latria, and that's why Paul used it in that Romans passage. There's another word that's oftentimes used in the New Testament as well. It brings kind of another aspect of worship. It's the word proskuneo. And that word is, it's interesting. It's kind of a little bit humorous and uh, makes you kind of tilt your head a little bit. It's a compound word. It's made up, the, the first word pros is a prefix, which means like to, towards, with. And uh, the word uh, kuneo, it's, uh, many scholars believe it's a derivative from the word kwan. And the word kwan means dog. You're like, well, now, wait a second. How do you get the wor- a word that's somehow related to worship from to, toward, and with, and a dog? Well, it's a word that was developed that came to mean to kiss the way in which a dog comes and licks their master's hand. You can see that picture, right? If you're a dog owner, that your dog has done that for you. And so it came, it literally means uh, to, to kiss towards or to kiss towards the hand as a dog licking its master's hand. And then figuratively then it came to mean to fawn or to crouch before. Again, you can get that image, right? With a dog and the way the dog like reveres his or her master. To fawn or crouch before, to bow down, to prostrate oneself in homage to someone. It means to revere, to worship. 
in a physical expression. It means to, and I, I won't do it here on the concrete. Maybe if we were inside, I would. But it means to, to fall to your knees and with your face to the ground, allow your forehead to touch the ground in, in the ultimate sign of reverence, of respect, of awe and adoration. So that's the word I want you to capture with proskuneo. If Latreia, Latreia reminds us that worship is all about our service, everything we do, proskuneo is about adoration. Who has your heart? Who do you adore? Who do you revere? In the same way, when that master comes home, that dog with tail, tail wagon comes up and just wants to greet them, right? That's the image of a worshiper running with passion and excitement just to fall before my master and show him how much I love him. Sometimes when you're, when you're having a bad day, how many of you who are dog lovers? Some of you aren't. I get that. You're not, you're not a dog family or a dog lover. But those of you who are, you, you, you know that feeling like you've had a bad day at work. It's been a rough one. And you come in and your dog is like, you are amazing. I love you. I'm so glad you're home. Please give me some love. Right? That's the image of worship. I know it sounds weird to think about a dog relating all of this to the worship of God, but hey, I didn't develop the word. God used it, right? It's the word that is used by Jesus when he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Proskuneo, to bow down in reverence. It's seen as the expression of profound and ultimate reverence for someone else. Adoration. The, revela- the book of the Revelation is filled with this word and expressions of this kind of worship. One of those instances is in Revelation 9, 19, excuse me, where it says the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped. There you get that image even from Proskuneo. They fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Worship is our, the service of our life. Worship is the adoration of our heart. How do we get to that place? Well, just as I would say to suggest to you that our life as an ambassador is a response to God's love and calling, our life as living as brothers and sisters in the family of God is a response to the love he has first given us, wouldn't it also be right to say the only way that we can offer our lives up to God as service, the only way that we can express to him our adoration. It's not about necessarily obligation and duty. It's a response. It's a response of love. We love, John says, because he first loved us. The only way that we can express love to God is if we first receive his love personally. So worship is a response It's that idea that, again, looking at both the the right hand and left hand of worship, it's the idea that, you know, my life has been changed by God. And so today, I want to offer everything about my day up to him as my spiritual act of worship, Latria. Also, my life has been so changed by God that I just want to lay face down in my prayer closet in front of him and pour out my heart, maybe tears, maybe groans, maybe prayers, maybe psalms, because he's the one I adore. And I want him, want him to know I adore him. The only reason we're able to express that love in service or in adoration is because he first loved us. He is good. 
and he's adopted us into his family. And so we get to express our love back to him when he has our heart, which brings me kind of to the next aspect, uh, aspect of this worship, whether it be service or whether it be that adoration aspect. It needs to be real, right? God sees through fake all the time. God's radar for that is absolutely pinpoint and undeniable, and it's 100%. He knows when we're faking it. He knows when those words on a screen are just coming out of our mouths because they're on the screen and we're supposed to sing them. And he knows when our hearts are being poured out to him in worship. He knows when we're doing some act of service because we feel guilty or because we think, oh, it's the right thing to do or we think right, we, we've, we've kind of been <laughs> shamed into it or something. That's that wood, hay, and stubble that gets, gets burned up, right? We don't get rewarded for that kind of service. And then he also knows the kind of service is from the pure heart. Look at the words of Jesus in Mark 7, thinking of this idea of real and genuine you hypocrites, that word, play actor, you mask wearers, you're so good at playing the part. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips. They think the right things, sing the right songs, say the right words, act the right way, but their hearts are far from me. God wants your heart and he wants your service and your adoration to flow from that heart that's been changed god's not looking on us and for every one of us who are here today giving us this divine check mark in the box labeled 726 2020 that we were there i'm not saying presence isn't important it is and i'm absolutely glad you're here, but more important than you're here, where is your heart? Where's your heart at right now? Are you thinking about those aspects of, of service and adoration as it relates to your response to this incredible love that God has provided for you? That's the heart of worship. That's the kind of worshipers that God seeks because he seeks worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Not just, again, mouthing the words, or going through the ritual, or whatever the case might be. Worship is a response. Worship is real. It's captured with both the elements of, of service and adoration. And it's all, again, in response to this love that he has for us so that we can return that love to him. That's the love. That's the real heart of worship. What would I hope as the, as the pastor, teaching pastor here at this church, what would I hope that we as a community would experience as we see that up relationship, that up dimension, that up component of our discipleship, of our walk with Jesus grow deeper? The first thing is this. I hope you know and you can begin to grasp how loved you are by God. I wish I had some analogy. I wish I had some metaphor. I wish I had some way to describe it the, in, with adequacy, but words can't capture the kind of love that God has for us. There's a verse that, that kind of describes the grandeur of it in 1 John chapter 3, where John says, See how much the Father has loved us. 
His love is so great that we are called God's children. And so, in fact, we are. This week, I'd invite you to maybe, whether it's, what do you call it, your quiet time or your devotional time or, you know, your you and God time, whatever it might be, your prayer time, whatever, whatever you, however you label it. Would you spend some time like reflecting on how loved you are? How great that love is that God has for you? Maybe jot some thoughts in a, in a note in your phone or on a piece of paper with a pen. Maybe, you know, open up the Bible and, and, and be reminded of how all the ways in which God has demonstrated his love for us as, his, as the prize of his creation, his human race created in his image, and you specifically. Remember how loved you are. Sometimes we like to rush to what we need to do and how we need to live and how we need to act, and I'm going to get there. But just before we, we go there, remember how loved you are. That would be a wonderful outcome if you begin to grasp how great it is that God has loved you and with such great love that he's done so. And the second aspect is, as we realize how loved we are, it's going to change the life we live. We are loved, and so we live differently, right? That's the reality. Again, it's not about, it's not this kind of guilt, you know, you know, guilting you into doing what's right or, or something or beating you over the head with Scripture. That's not it. It's just simply Jesus says, hey, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's going to be a response. When you realize how much how loved you are, and you say, well, man, I want to love you back. Well, you'll keep my commandments. You'll walk in obedience. John says in, in 1 John chapter 5, for this is what love for God is. What does love for God look like? To keep his commands. Worship is realizing you're loved and then living a life that's based in that. A life of service and a life of adoration. Maybe somebody who personifies that for us is a man by the name of David. Saul, David's predecessor, as the king of Israel. He was removed by, uh, by God, and, and God uh, used the prophet Samuel as a corrective voice in his life. And one of the ways in which Saul failed God is he thought that it was important for him to offer this particular sacrifice. We won't go into the details of all of it, but he thought it was important to offer this sacrifice even though he knew it wasn't something that he should do, that, that only a priest should be offering that sacrifice. And so when he did it, God confronted him through the words of Samuel. And Samuel said, don't you understand to obey is always better than sacrifice? God removed Saul from that office as the king of Israel. And in Acts 13, 22, speaking about this, Luke writes this. After removing him, that is Saul, he, that is God, raised up David to, as their king and testified about him, about David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. To me, that's an image of proskuneo, after my, no, my own heart, adores me, wants to love me, wants to just revere me, just wants to be there licking my hand, wagging his tail, showing me how much he loves me. And secondly, he will carry out my will. That, I think, is a picture of Latria. Carry out his will. Serve him with her his whole life. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, their very, his very being. You know, last night, 
I was uh, down on the Target in Ford Road. Uh, I have uh, lost every pair of sunglasses that I've used for these services. And uh, so I had to pick up another one last night. So there was a, a grad party here uh, at the barn, and I left that grad party and stopped at Target. And uh, as I was shopping, I uh, had all my stuff, and, uh, and uh, I, this, this uh, person was walking by me in the aisle. And I didn't, uh, she had a mask on, I had a mask on, and she recognized me, I didn't recognize her, but then she said her name to me. And I said, oh, hey. And she said, how are you? And I said, I'm okay. And I said it back to her. You know, those, you know those things you say just because it's immediate response, how are you? This woman that I met is a young woman. She grew up in, uh, in, here in Calvary. Her family's part of Calvary. And um, she has faced incredible physical, medical challenges in her recent years. S- significantly more than what I could describe without being a medical professional. It's been a horrible time for her. And she looked at me and she said, I'm okay. She has at various times shared her testimony of God's comfort and presence. Of his provision for her. And how much she trusts in his goodness. She said to me, thanks for what you're doing online. I watch often, and uh, it's really an encouragement to me. And I thought, this is a woman who is after God's own heart. She's a worshiper of God. She understands what it means to love him with all that she is. So, Melissa, if you're watching today, um, thank you for being an example to many of us about what it means to be that kind of a person. Uh, None of us know what the future holds, but we know the impact that you've made with your life in our lives, and we love you for that. I pray that as we consider what our lives look like, that we would think about those kind of... uh, aspects to worship. Worship as service. Worship as adoration. Worship as one whose heart is after God and after God's own heart as we love him with all that we are. Before we close today, uh, the worship team is going to lead us in in a song. I pray that that song in and of itself will be an affirmation from your heart, uh, an, an affirmation of worship to your heavenly father. And as they come to prepare to lead us in that, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as I pray. God, we love you. Those words seem so inadequate. And yet, With all that we are, we thank you and we love you and we praise you and we adore you and we worship you today in response to the incredible love that you have for us. Pray, God, that as we close with this song of worship, that you would just even deepen in this moment our understanding of how loved we are and the calling that you have on our life to live in response to that love. 
We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.